Cool. Let me, let me pray. Thank you, Lord, just for this time in your presence, Lord, and this opportunity to meet with the living God. Thank you that even as we worship you, it's something we're doing and pouring out our hearts towards you. But as we do it, we experience you coming towards us. Thank you, Father God, that this is a two-way relationship. We pour out our lives to you, but you did it first, and you continue to fill us with your Spirit. And this morning, I pray, God, may we grow in the things of your Spirit. May we grow in communion with you. May we grow in intimacy with you. May we grow in holiness in you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So um, if you are new here, if you're here for the very first time, and as I look around, I do see quite a few people for the very first time, so very lucky to have you with us. And we've been doing a little series um, through the book of Romans. We're not going line by line, verse by verse, but we've been picking up on themes as we go through the book of Romans. And uh, I must be honest, I knew ahead of time what we were going to do this morning, And I've really been looking forward to this morning, because this morning we're going to be speaking about life in the Holy Spirit. What a topic, what an exciting topic. And so we know that the kingdom is not just about words, it's about power, and I'm trusting that the Word of God would lead us to the person of God this morning, and and the person of the Holy Spirit, and that you would be refreshed and revived in your spirit as we seek the Lord. Amen. So we started with, in part one, looking at Romans chapter one, and quite a a sobering chapter. Basically, God painting through the scriptures, painting the scene of what went wrong with man's relationship with God, and as a a consequence of that, what, what has gone wrong in the world around us. And as you read through Romans chapter 1, if you ever have a question like, what is wrong with the world? <laughs> Maybe you have that question several times a week, especially in traffic on the way on the N1 inbound. What is wrong with the world? As you read Romans chapter 1, it gives an incredible insight into what went wrong with the world. And specifically, it talks about man's rejection of God and choosing to worship the created things, good things God has made in the world, and rejecting the Creator who made those good things, which we would call idolatry. And idolatry is where the problem started, and how man lost its way and has incurred the judgment of God. And that looks like wickedness and sin and immorality in the world, as well as a loss of meaning, a loss of um, why... Why am I even here? When you lose God, you lose your sense of why am I even here? What's even the point? And so you can have lots of fun, but very little meaning, purpose. And that's Romans 1. And then last week we spoke about justification by faith. What does it mean to put your trust completely in Jesus? And that means at the same time, moving my trust away from what I can do to what God can do. 
and how that you can't actually truly be saved until you've completely moved your trust away from yourself and what I can do towards God. And that actually, that kind of faith brings peace. We spoke about the fruit of that is peace with God. Peace with God. And that's a beautiful thing that money can't buy. (laughs) Money can't buy you peace with God. And that's the one thing that the world and I and you desperately need is true peace with God and joy in the Holy Spirit. This morning we're going to be moving on to actually the new covenant. What makes the new covenant the new covenant is the Holy Spirit. If you remove the gift of the Holy Spirit from what we have, you can't have a new covenant. Um, And Paul is, in this part of his letter, really talking about the role of the Holy Spirit in this new way of worshiping God, this new way of serving God. And so as we look at the different scriptures, you're going to see the word new a lot. Um, The new way of worshiping. So maybe let's actually go there. Romans chapter 7, verse 5 to 6. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. In the new life. In a, another translation, so it says, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. And so this morning, as we go through, we're going to be going through a couple of different chapters. Um, we're going to be picking up on two things. Um, it's interesting when Paul speaks about the new way of the Spirit, the new life in the Spirit. The first thing he goes on to speak about is how we get victory over sin by the Spirit. And then he goes on to talk, and I'm really anxious to get there this morning, about the incredible joy and blessing that we have from being united with Christ. There's this beautiful mystery in the scripture. It talks about being in Christ. I kind of know what that means and I kind of don't. It's a mysterious union that we have with Christ by the Spirit. And it results in life. When we are properly united with Christ, we experience the life of Christ and the blessing of Christ. So I'm quite anxious to get there as well. I guarantee you're going to be feeling encouraged by the end of this morning. (laughs) Um, So... As Paul's speaking about the end of the law and this new life in the Spirit, he's actually been undermining the law a lot because he's been trying to explain that the law has become obsolete. And obsolete means something that once had use, but now it's irrelevant. We were talking yesterday with some friends about PlayStation 1. Obsolete. You don't think so? You're sticking with that? You're sticking with something that's old and outdated. You need to come into the new. You know, there's more. There's more. But something obsolete is something that once was useful, once was good, but is now being replaced by something better. And in the case of the law, the law was a means to another end. And the spirit was that end. And now that the spirit has come, the law has become obsolete. But by talking so much about what the law can't do, and undermining the law for so much time, it's now raised other questions. And so his audience are asking other questions. Um, one of them 
is, you know, if we've done away with the law, does sin even matter anymore? Do we even need to talk about sin anymore? It's because if, if, you, if you've done away with the law, obviously that means that sin is not important. So it's, does sin even matter anymore? And so that's one of the questions which Paul's talking about, because Paul's been speaking about, you know, as sin has is, is, is pervaded the world, grace has increased. So then the natural question is, well, you know, the more sin there is, the more grace there is. So is sin even a bad thing? And so that's the question he moves on to now. So we can put up um, Romans chapter 6, verse 1. So he's literally directly addressing that question. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? That's the pastor's worst, worst nightmare when he gets that question. Eh? <laughs> but by no, by no means. Uh, don't hear what I'm not saying here, guys. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's a pastoral uh, horror show. Are we bound? Are we, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. Newness of life. That's the scripture I use, by the way, when we're talking about baptism. So if you're wanting to learn more about baptism, that's the, that's the one to go to. Baptism is far more than just getting wet. It's actually a symbol of the new way in which God makes people holy. It's incredibly profound because it's actually a visual picture of what God does in us in order to fulfill what the law could not do. He's made me new, a new creation. And so um, it's interesting, we're talking about the life of the Holy Spirit this morning. And we're talking about, as soon as you speak about life in the Spirit, some Christian will, 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 will say, you know, where the Spirit of, where, where the, how does it go? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. But one of the things we don't often think about is this freedom from sin, also. Freedom from sin. Freedom from sin. This, this audience had interpreted as freedom to sin. But actually, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom from sin. Scriptures speak about sin as being this horrible slave master that actually drives you into the ground to your death. And Christ has freed us from sin. And it's interesting, we talk about life in the Spirit. But He's the Holy Spirit. It's an interesting adjective, Holy Spirit, that of all the adjectives God could have chosen, to name himself by, that he's the Holy Spirit. And one of the fruits of the Spirit is holiness. And it's something he actually does in us. He makes us holy because he himself is holy. So I want to put up a very famous passage here, which, as I, as I mentioned before, Romans is an incredibly insightful book. You learn so much about the nature of the world and about myself by looking at the book of Romans. This passage in Romans chapter 4 verse Romans chapter 7, verse 14, is an incredible um, passage about a schizophrenic man, <laughs> which we can all identify with. And this is an important passage to read if we want to talk about how does, how does Jesus help me to overcome sin? That's not just a theological question. You've probably asked that question. I've asked that question. 
How does he actually help me to overcome sin? Why do I still wrestle with sin? How, do, how can I win this battle? Have you ever asked that question? Sometimes it's discouraging because you know you're supposed to be winning and sometimes you don't feel like you're winning and you ask the question, how can I overcome sin? And this passage is incredibly insightful um, speaking about before Christ did a work in our hearts and destroyed the power of sin, this is what everyday life was probably like for you and this is the, the everyday life of most people in the world today. It's very profound. He does overdo the point of it, though, like pastors do tend to do. So just bear with him as we go. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want. But I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. You see now how he overdoes the point now. Anyway, let's go with it. So now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I found this passage so profound because it describes me 100%. It describes almost every, not almost, every single person in the world today. We have a desire to do what's right. We have a desire to do what's good. But the thing that we want to do is not the thing that we end up doing. The thing we don't want to do is the the thing we, we end up doing. And why is that important to know? Because there are other solutions which vie with the gospel. One of them is sort of like this liberal agenda in the world today. And the liberal agenda will, will, will try and convince us that what the world really needs to be a better place, education. If we could just educate everybody. The thing is ignorance. The reason why people are wicked is because they're ignorant. And if we could just educate people through schools, through social media, through programs, if we could just get the word out there, we'd make the world a better place. Another one. If we could strengthen law enforcement, we have like this super police force, we could make the world a better place. If we could just change our political system or our economic system or whatever system, fill in the blank. Maybe capitalism is the reason why the world is the way that it is. It isn't. The reason why the world is the way that it is because the good I want to do, I don't do. The evil inside of me that I hate, that's the thing I do. That's not a system. That's not the world. That's not a lack of a police force. That's, that's a problem I have inside of me. And, G, and, and Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this situation? Thanks be to God for Christ Jesus. He's the one that will rescue me from this situation. There's no external solution. It's God changing me from the inside. I, mean, I, I mentioned that. We know that. But sometimes we need a reminder of that. Uh, because we forget the, the true solution. 
And so um, Romans chapter 5, verse 9, we're going to now look at the, what does the Bible say about how does God make me win the battle against sin? How does he, what has he provided? How does he actually make me win this? Uh, th- this passage, especially Romans 6, is a, is a passage I go back to often when I'm feeling discouraged in my faith, in my battle against sin. But we're going to start in chapter 5, verse 19. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. By Adam's sin, we all inherited sinful tendencies. But we don't even have to go back as far as Adam. If you just look at your parents and your grandparents, you'll notice, have you noticed that some of their unhelpful <laughs> tendencies, let's just call them unhelpful tendencies. We could go on to say abusive or destructive or whatever. <laughs> whatever. And we don't like those things in our parents. And then we find, I have those same tendencies. And you, have you ever experienced that? You're like, no, I'm doing the same thing. That was the very thing. I used to get angry with them. Now I'm doing it. We inherit these sinful tendencies from our ancestors, and we, and we inherited them from Adam all the way back when. And so, because of Adam's sin, we all inherited a, a sinful tendencies. And the good news is, and this is incredibly good news, is God is going to give you and has given you a new family tree. He's going to give you and he has given you a new family tree. Let me tell you why this is so incredibly encouraging. Because I think we all have fears that I'm going to become like my fill in the blank. And you don't have to. Isn't that encouraging? You are not destined to repeat the sins of your father, your mother, your ancestors, your grandparents, and even Adam. You're not destined to repeat those sins because you have a new family tree. We have been transplanted into a new family, and Jesus is the head of that family. Isn't that encouraging? I find that incredibly encouraging. Now, that doesn't mean to say you won't sometimes experience those tendencies, but when you do, you can say, Lord, I've just noticed something in me that's in my parents. And your word says, I'm a new creation. I have a new ancestor. And so I declare over my life that that is not going to be my inheritance. I'm going to stand on your word, and I'm going to fight for my inheritance in Christ. Isn't that encouraging? And because your father, your grandfather, or whatever you want to call it, is Jesus, you will take on, you will inherit his righteous tendencies, his tendencies towards love, his tendencies towards patience and holiness and righteousness. Just like you inherited wicked tendencies, you will begin to inherit righteous tendencies. Isn't that encouraging? And so you will become, you will start to grow into the image of your heavenly father as a natural course of life as you walk according to the Spirit. I find that incredibly, I actually found just, just to be honest, while I was prepping this, that point that I just made now, I feel like is a word for us. I feel like there's people in this place that have grown discouraged and despondent because you feel like you're destined to repeat the sins of your family. You're not. You're not destined to repeat them. And we'll spend some time in prayer a little bit later to encourage you in your faith and actually de- declare that over our lives. In Romans, so we spoke about a new family tree. God also gives us a new birth. And that has got significant consequences for us. And I'm going to spell them out in all their glory. <laughs> but to repeat Romans chapter 6, we, we already 
mention this. Um, Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Shall we, uh, are we to continue to, to in sin that grace may, may abound? It's interesting how Paul answers this question. It's interesting how he, because the answer to this question, are we to continue to sin, is the answer to how God makes us holy now. The new way in which God makes us holy now. The new way in which God makes us holy now is that I died and I've been born again. That is the new way. Not only has the Lord changed, I've changed by the power of the Spirit. I've been born again. Here's the, here is the, the, the significance of that. You have received a new heart. That means you've received new desires by the Spirit. You've received a new identity. And what is that identity? You are now a child of God. Why is that important? Because you'll act the way that you think about yourself. This is the way you need to think about yourself. You are now a child of God. You are now adopted into into His family. You have now received a new family. You are in the household of God. You've received a new spirit within you. And so the Bible will often challenge you, and I'm going to read some scriptures just now. The Bible will often challenge you about the way that you think about yourself. It will say, Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ. It's great that that's happened, but it doesn't help if it's happened, but you don't think of yourself that way because you'll act according to how you think about yourself. Yes, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus, but do you think of yourself that way? That's important because that's how you'll act. And so um, in, in Romans chapter 6, verse 22 it actually combines justification and sanctification. I'll explain those words. But let's read it. Romans chapter 6, verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. What does that mean? It means that now that God has declared you holy, now you will start to become holy. You've been made holy, and now you will begin to be act holy. So justification means God has declared you righteous. That's something He has done. It's a gift of God. It's something that He did by His power. He has declared you righteous by faith. That's justification. And now He is changing you to become holy. And you're going to start acting according to how you really are. Does that make sense? So here's the thing. We will do battle with sin every day. But we don't do battle with sin to become holy. We do battle with sin because we've been made holy. It's something that you've already been given. Does that make sense? It's, here's the difference in a, just a, a car analogy. If you, if you have a new car, how big of a deal is it to you when someone scratches it? Even a small scratch. It's a very, very, very big deal. In fact, it becomes too big of a deal. It's a new car for pity sakes. Right? But if it's an old banged up car, which you're thinking of probably selling anyway, and someone scratches it, or join the club, you know, like uh, everyone else has had a go. Why don't you add another scratch as well? 
So here's the thing. You are a new car. You've been made holy. So we live holy. Sin is a big deal to me. Why? Because God made me holy. I'm a new car. I'm a new creation. I'm a child of God. I've got his spirit living inside of me. I've got a new identity. I've got a new home. I've got a new father. I've got a new everything. Sin is a big deal to me because that's not who I am anymore. I don't do that anymore. I've got a new nature. I've got a new inheritance. And that inheritance is holiness. It's a righteous life. Does that make sense? But if you think of yourself as as a sinner, and when you sin, it's like, well, it's another scratch to an old car. Kind of difference does it make, really. Does that make sense? So how we think of ourselves as being made new is is it, make, it makes all the difference. And so the Bible would say that you have been given a robe of righteousness. You've been given a robe of righteousness by Jesus Christ. And that robe represents purity. It represents holiness. And it was a gift, a free gift. One day you were a dirty scumbag. Next day you had a robe of righteousness. It was just something that God gave you. Right? And our responsibility is to keep those robes clean. How? By consistently going back to Christ. Whenever we get our robes dirty with sin, we go to Jesus and say, and say God, I, I'm so sorry. That, that wasn't, that's not what you've called me to. That's not how you called me to live. I'm a new creation now. Would you cleanse me? Would you wash me? Would you forgive me? And you leave that place of prayer with a perfectly white robe again. Isn't that beautiful? It's something he does. Something he does. But Paul is really stressing the fact that this is a work of the Holy Spirit. Remember I mentioned you don't have a new covenant unless you've got a Holy Spirit in the mix. He's what makes the new covenant new. How encouraging is this verse? Romans chapter 8 verse 3 and 4. This is an incredibly encouraging verse. For God has done what the law could not do. Because it was weakened by the flesh. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh. But according to the spirit. That is profound. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. Do you know we've, we fulfill the requirements of the law accidentally? How? By being the new creation God's called us to be. By walking according to his spirit. We act, what the law could not fulfill. Christ has fulfilled and does fulfill in me. By the power of the Holy Spirit. And so. Um, that's conditioned on two things. First of all being filled with the Holy Spirit. So if you've not been filled with the Holy Spirit. We'll have a time of prayer for you after. We will do that. And secondly. That we walk according to the spirit. There's a deliberate choice that we have to do every day to walk according to, to the Spirit. And, and, that's, and that's what it actually says. In Romans 6 verse 11, this is what I mentioned earlier. It doesn't help that God makes you a new creation if you don't think of yourself that way. That's why it says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I often actually do this when I start my day. I'll say, God, I'm a new creation. I'm dead to sin. I'm alive to you. I present my life to you. 
for holiness. Every part of my life, my mouth, the way I speak, my thoughts, the way I think, I'm giving them to you and offering them to you to use for your glory. Would you lead me by your spirit? In Romans 6 verse 19. Just as once you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. I'm offering my life to you, God. And the Bible would speak about sowing to the Spirit rather than sowing to the flesh. So now that I've been made holy, now that I've been called His own, every day, a thousand times a day, I choose to walk according to His Spirit, to sow to the Spirit and put to death the misdeeds of the body. That's a verse. Romans chapter 8, verse 12. You are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And so now that I am holy, I live a holy life. And this is how it describes that I do that. Does that make sense? It's important to understand the order of events. You don't make yourself holy by fighting with sin every day. You are holy. And so I live according to the Spirit. And the Spirit, I spoke earlier about this mystical union that we have with Christ by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is what gives us our assurance that we are children of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. This is such a beautiful verse. These are the blessings that we receive by being united with Christ. Something that's only possible to achieve with the Spirit. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This speaks about intimacy with God, fellowship with God. It's something you can't achieve by any other way except by the Spirit living inside of me. His Spirit. You know what I'm talking about. It's like you talk about uh, in surfing. Only a surfer knows the feeling. Well, only a Christian, only a Christian that's been filled with the Spirit knows this feeling of the Holy Spirit inside of me crying out, Abba, Father. Ah, that's the new covenant right there. It's a work of His Spirit. So you can get assurance of salvation from theology, but primarily it comes from His Spirit, witnessing with my spirit that He loves me. He has accepted me. He's forgiven me. I belong to Him. And I don't have to earn it. It's a gift. Isn't that beautiful? Probably the is that, that, like, best thing of Christianity, like the best thing about our faith is this, isn't it? That intimacy of knowing that he loves me and he's my father. Speaks about, in that, in verse 18, it speaks about the coming glory that is to be revealed to us. One of the things that the Holy Spirit does is he gives us hope. Another thing that's a scarce commodity, I spoke a lot about hope in the middle of a COVID pandemic because there was very little of it. But one of the things the Holy Spirit does is he casts our gaze forward to the glory that's going to be revealed. 
What does that verse say? Uh, verse 18. Yet what, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will give us later. The Holy Spirit gives us hope, gives us a vision of the future. This is another beautiful promise. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. I love this. Maybe it's because I'm weak, um, like most of us. But likewise, the Spirit. This, this chapter is all about the Holy Spirit and what He does. It's incredibly encouraging. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. If you're ever feeling discouraged, consider this. The Holy Spirit right now is praying for you. Isn't that encouraging? Even when you don't know what to pray, he's still praying for you. The Bible says Jesus is interceding at the right hand of the Father for you right now. Isn't that encouraging? It's great to pray. But consider how encouraging it is that Jesus himself is praying for me. The Holy Spirit is praying with words, with groanings that words can't even express. And he's helping me in my weakness. And you would have experienced this in your weakest, um, most discouraging, daunting, darkest days. As you draw near to the Lord, you feel the Holy Spirit strengthening me, encouraging me, praying with me. Incredibly, incredibly beautiful aspect of the faith that we now have. Romans 8, chapter 28. Did you know that even Satan's plans for your life, God turns for your good? That's what the scripture says. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. When we experience loss and suffering and pain and hardship and Satan has a go at us, God is sovereign. God is so sovereign. He will even turn the things Satan intended for your harm and work it together in his wisdom for your good. So that when you're at the end of your race and you look back, you'll see God has worked in my life to such an extent that even the things Satan tried to derail me with, God in his wisdom has used for my good, for my strengthening, for my character refining for my fellowship, for my vulnerability with friends. And the glory of God was revealed, even in what's bad in my life. I'm going to end with God's covenantal love towards you because of your union with Christ. Because you're in Christ, God loves you with a covenantal, unfailing love. Probably the most famous passage about God's covenantal love in the whole of Scripture. Romans chapter 8, verse 37, verse 39. When you feel like in your week, everybody and everything is conspiring to destroy you. <laughs> Maybe this past week, depending on how your week was. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ our Lord. 
Isn't that encouraging? That is the covenantal level. He's not, his love for us is not fickle. His love for us is covenantal love. He has covenanted us with us through Christ. And so his love is a persevering love. And whatever the world might conspire to separate you from God, his love is stronger. Isn't that encouraging? You might need to pray that over yourself a few times in a week. You feel like the world is conspiring against you. So I want to just close by saying and applying to you now and encouraging you to just put this into practice. Number one, Jesus has made you new. He's made you a new creation. He's given you a new identity. This morning, you need to choose to believe that's true. God has said it's true. Who are we to say otherwise? He says, he's called me a child. He's called me a son. He's called me his own. He's called me new. We are referred to in scripture as saints. That means holy ones. And I choose to believe this morning that that is true. I want to encourage you. If you've not been baptized in water, that's one of the most significant steps you will take when you first come to faith in Christ. It's a declaration of faith. And you are declaring, I am a new creation. The old has been passed away. It's been washed away. I have been raised with Christ. Something that the Lord asked us to do because it's a declaration. It's a public declaration of something that has happened on the inside of me. If you've not done that, I would encourage you to do that as soon as you physically can. It's a good day as well. It's sunny outside. Present yourself as a vessel of righteousness. I would encourage you to do this every day. Lord, I'm a new creation. I'm presenting my life, every part of my life. Use me for your glory. I'm not going to go back and serve Satan with my sin anymore. Make me holy. Use me for your glory.